I'd like to begin this morning by telling you a little bit of a story. And this is a story that happened a long, long time ago. You see, God, the creator of the universe, desired to make himself known. To express his love in a way that uh, people would see and understand how glorious he is and how much he loved them and how much he desired for them to come to him. And the way that he decided to do that was he, he said, here is a group of people that I am going to call my people. Not because of anything that they have done, not because they are so wonderful, not because they are so big and so powerful, but because they are weak and pathetic. Because they have been made servants in a land that is not their own. I am going to take that people. And I'm going to make them my people. And I am going to be their God. And I am going to take that people and I'm going to take them out of that uh, servitude. And I'm going to bring them out of that land that isn't theirs. And I'm going to bring them to a new land. A land right in the middle of the world. In the very center of the world, I am going to give them that land. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And I'm going to brush away all the other people that are, are, are wicked and defiling that land. All, all of those evil nations that are currently in that place. I'm going to take my people and I'm going to put them there instead. And I'm going to express my love to them. And I am going to bless them and prosper them and give them peace. And then they will express to the world how great I am. And the nations will flow into this place to see how great and awesome is the God of these people. That's what I'm going to do. And so the God of heaven and earth chose the Israelites these descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who were in slavery in Egypt and he came down and he said, I am going to be your deliverer. I am going to free you. And he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And he brought them through the desert and he brought them to this land that he was going to provide for them. And they said, whoa, look at all the people in there. We can't go in there. They're huge. And God said, no, I will give you this land. And they resisted because they didn't believe, they didn't trust God, and so God made them wander in the desert for 40 years while He provided for them every single day, everything that they would need. They worried about nothing for 40 years. He fed them every morning. He gave them water when they needed it. He gave them meat when they asked for it. Their sandals and clothes didn't wear out. For 40 years He took care of them so that they would know how great and awesome is this God who loves them. And then He brought them back to the doorstep of this land and said, this, this is the home that I will give you. And He brought them in and they conquered that land in mighty ways. Through powerful victories, they conquered that land and drove out all of the wicked and evil people and they began to establish a kingdom there. And it was rocky. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't the kind of thing where you would look at it and go, wow, that just look at how they just ascended like this into this wonderful thing. It was sort of this up and down. 
But finally, finally, God brought in a king, a man after his own heart. David. And David wasn't perfect. He had lots of different issues. But man, did he love God. And God told him, a descendant of yours will always sit on the throne of my people. And David conquered and ruled. And his son came after him and we began to see exactly the plan that God had. Exactly the promises that he made as Solomon took over as king. As, as his great wisdom and prosperity was a witness to the nations so the nations would flood in. The word had gotten out. There is a God in Israel and His King is on the throne and this man is so wise and prosperous. You wouldn't believe it unless you saw it. And in fact, people would come and they would say, Wow! I have heard all of these stories about how great this kingdom is, about how amazing this temple is, about how wonderful the worship of God, about how wise the king. And I assumed, because it's always this way, that it was hyped way beyond. And what I have discovered in coming here is that this isn't even close. The stories could not prepare me for how awesome this is. And for a brief period of time, it seemed that this plan was the way that God was going to express Himself to the world, that always this would be the case. That this nation of Israel in the center of the world would be the seat of peace and prosperity and power and wisdom and worship of God, and everyone would flow in and see how wonderful and awesome God is, but in one generation it began to fracture. In one generation after that, there began to be division. And the kingdom broke in two. And depending on who was on the throne in the northern kingdom, and depending on who was in the throne in the southern kingdom, they had highs and lows, and it was meh. Some of them followed God, and some of them didn't follow God. And things began to fall apart. Until the northern kingdom was captured and dragged off. And God sent a prophet to the, the southern kingdom. And that prophet's name was Isaiah. And Isaiah came with a message saying, Repent! Repent! What are you doing seeking after all of these idols? What are you doing forsaking our God? Do you not remember the history? Do you not know how great and awesome is the Lord our God? And yet you just go and worship all of these other gods and you are selfish? What are you doing? And he begins to warn And tell people about what's going to happen. 
And at this time, Hezekiah is on the throne, and Hezekiah was a pretty decent king, but not perfect. And he makes some mistakes. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah at the end of chapter 39 of the book of Isaiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And at that point, you have to wonder about this plan. As Isaiah is prophesying and saying, this is the end of the kingdom. This is the end. But in chapter 40, he begins to prophesy and talk about what will come after that. Yes, this is the end for the kingdom, but comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He begins to talk about this time, this, this time when God will again restore His people in a new way, in a fresh way. And he talks about this great God and how awesome he is. And so he continues on in Isaiah 40 verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust of the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. 
they are counted by Him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with Him? Isaiah is prophesying and he's saying, look at God is huge. He's awesome and amazing. There is no one like Him. Who could understand the mind of God? Who could measure His Spirit? Who could give God counsel and tell Him how to do things? I know. I know that you are dismayed because God is going to drag the Israelites out of here and this nation will be no more, but God knows. God knows. And this is part of His plan and He will make it be. Take comfort. Because your God is great and there is no one like Him. All of those idols that you're currently worshipping, all of those things that you turn to, that you put your hope in, that you put your trust in, don't worry about them. They aren't anything. Even the most powerful of nations is as nothing before God. He continues on in verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is to disregard, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah said, you think that God doesn't notice? You think that God doesn't notice your sin? You think God doesn't care about the things that you're doing? Nothing is hidden from Him. Have you not known? He's the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. And He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You've got nothing. This is the great and awesome God. And in chapter 41, he continues to prophesy, and he's prophesying now not just to uh, the nation of Israel, but to what he calls the coastlands, the other nations. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Then let them speak. Let us draw together near for judgment who stirred up who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step he gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot he makes them like dust with his sword like driven stubble with his bow he pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod who has performed and done this calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble and have drawn near and come. He's going to 
judge. And over and over again through this chapter, the Lord says, I, the Lord, I, the Lord am he, I, me. Verse 8, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There is only one hope. It's in the righteousness of God. In verse 14, Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. It is me. I will redeem. I will save. I will judge. I will rule. All that God had intended to do to make Himself known, He is saying, I will continue to do that. I will make it known. Verse 17, When the poor and the needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Everything will come from me. All those who are in need will come to me and I will provide for them. That they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. I will reveal Myself. Isaiah is prophesying and saying, yes, God is going to drag you out and then He is going to reveal Himself in a new way. At the end of the chapter of 41, it says, Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the King of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things and what they are that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things that are are to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. He's going, what what are you going to bring? Come, 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 tell me what you've got. You you tell me what has happened long ago. You, You tell me what will happen in the future. You, you tell me. You're so smart. You don't need me. You're not turning to me. You, you tell me about how wonderful you are. You tell me about your gods. About how godlike you are. Wise. Strong. Behold, you are nothing. And your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. I stirred up one from the north and he has come from the rising of the sun and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay. Who declared it from the beginning that we might know and beforehand that we might say he is right. 
There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Zion, behold, here they are, and I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one among these. There is no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are an empty wind. This great God is now judging His people and saying, I find you completely lacking. You are not faithful. You are not wise. You are not righteous. You are not proclaiming My glory to the ends of the earth. There is nothing about you which displays My glory. And so we have a major problem. This was the way that God was going to reveal Himself to the world, right? That He was going to have a people that were His people and He would be their God and they would testify to the world what a blessing He is. He would bless them and through them all nations would be blessed, but instead there is division, instead there is war, instead there is hatred, instead there is brokenness and sin and idolatry, instead it is just garbage. And Isaiah is prophesying and saying, this is what is happening. This is the judgment. There is none who qualifies. There is none who is righteous. And we get to verse 42. I mean chapter 42 of Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I uphold. My chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Behold my servant, whom I uphold. My chosen one. My chosen one. In whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. The servant of the Lord, he is the one who will come and bring forth justice. The chosen one of God, he's the one that will come. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. 
And so this is the prophecy of Isaiah, the the one who is coming to speak the words of God to God's people, and it happens exactly as Isaiah said it would. The Israelites are conquered. Jerusalem has fallen. And the nation is no more. And those who wanted to follow God, those who remembered His words and remembered these prophecies, kept waiting. God, when? When will you restore them? When will your servant come? When will the chosen one come? Who will bring us back that we might be a nation again. That we might be restored to our might and strength and power and peace and prosperity. When is that going to happen? For hundreds of years they waited. Trying to understand this plan that they didn't understand. Trying to understand the mind of God which is too far bigger than what they could comprehend. And they just didn't get it. Have you ever found yourself in a place like that where you're just looking and going, I just don't get this. I just can't figure this out. I don't know why this has to be so hard. I don't know why it has to be this way. I don't know why they're treating me like that. I don't know why God would allow this to happen. It's a question that people have been asking for a very, very long time. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 11? Romans chapter 11, in verse 25, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. Those people who are following Christ and now living in Rome, he, he writes to them and he says, I, I don't want you to be unaware. 11 verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, my brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And if you jump to verse 30, it says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Paul has been writing to the church at Rome and he's looking back now. Isaiah had been looking forward and prophesying, telling them what was going to happen before it took place so that they would know that this was from God. 
Circumstances which most people would go, this can't be from God. Isaiah says, I'm going to tell you about it beforehand so that you know this is absolutely from God. You are going to be dragged off into captivity and the nation is going to be destroyed. Jerusalem will fall. They're going, whoa, time out, nope. That can't be right. Yep, that's right. That's how it's going to be until God's chosen one comes. And they're waiting and they're waiting for this chosen one to come. And Paul is saying now after the fact, hey, the chosen one has come. The chosen one has come. This was all part of God's plan. That those who were disobedient might be shown mercy through God's chosen one. So that God might have mercy on those whom, on whom He would have mercy. It, it, it's like a tree. And the Israelites were a part of that tree, but the branches got broken off. And then these branches, these coastlands, these Gentiles, these people who were not God's people, have been grafted into this tree through God's chosen one. And those who were broken off can be grafted back in through God's chosen one. So that, verse 32, For God has consigned all to disobedience that He might have mercy on all. There could have been any number of ways that God desired to demonstrate how great and awesome He is. And this is how He decided to do it. That everyone would be disobedient and He would have mercy on those whom He chose to have mercy. So that everyone would be brought in the same way. Not because they were so wonderful, not because they were amazing, not because they were particularly wise or strong or generous or gentle or loving or compassionate or anything to do with them, but God chose them and said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. For all have been disobedient and I will demonstrate my love in this that I will choose from those who have been disobedient for myself some to come through my chosen one. In Colossians chapter 1, it puts it this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. And at this point you're thinking that this is sounding a lot like the same stuff in Isaiah. These are some of the same kinds of descriptions that we were hearing back in Isaiah about God, the Holy One of Israel, 
And up until this point, it sounds very much the same. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, and then it... He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. This is the way that God has decided to do it. That servant prophesied back in Isaiah, that chosen one, that was Jesus. But Jesus was not just any ordinary man chosen by God to, be, to have a special task. Jesus was unique. Jesus was unique because he existed before he was a man. Jesus was, a, was unique because he was God himself, God in flesh. So that it can be said of him that he is the image of the invisible God. Preeminent of, in all creation, for be, by him all things were created. By Jesus... All things were created in heaven and on earth, whether visible or invisible. Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. That's Jesus. Even if you begin to understand at the time of Isaiah the prophecies that all of this judgment is going to come and salvation will come through this chosen one of Israel... To begin to understand that this chosen one is God Himself in flesh. Blows my mind. You decided to do what? You decided that the way to reveal yourself to your people, to reveal yourself to the world, the way that you would show your splendor, the way that you would show how awesome and incredible and powerful you are, is to become a man? That you would come and walk in weakness like us? And that as you walk, you would just teach and explain the Scriptures, explain the history, explain how you have come to fulfill all of the promises. That you would begin to heal and give sight to the blind and help the lame to walk. That you would demonstrate a power that nobody had seen before, but in the weakness of a man. Why would you choose to do it that way? 
And yet he walks with us in weakness and does it in this exact way that he might demonstrate his love for us in that he understands all that we struggle with. Every temptation that we have, he walks through that and understands it and gets it and yet does it without sin. So that he might take upon himself all of the judgment that we deserve. And we might be treated as though we were as righteous as him. And we look at that and go, this doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I don't understand how it might work this way. Even as you are explaining this confusing thing to me, that this is how you have chosen to do it, that you would redeem all people through the Christ, through the Messiah, the chosen one of God, who is himself God in flesh. Even as you say that, I'm going, I'm going to need at least a year to meditate on this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that you, who were once alienated from God, hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. That was the plan. That was the plan. And so as we are finishing up Romans chapter 11, and we find ourselves coming to the end as Paul is describing and explaining to them, yep, so this is how it works. They were broken off that you might be grafted in, and then they get grafted back in, all of us through the same way, through this chosen one of God, who is God himself in flesh, who takes on our sin and dies, and then rises again from the dead so that we might have his righteousness. That is how he has decided to do it. So that he might treat us all the same. All of us, having been consigned to disobedience, that He might have mercy on all of us. If we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of this gospel, this good news, that has been proclaimed now in all creation under heaven. This is how God is doing it. And for those who had been hearing the stories, they had been looking at it from a certain angle and now are being given a different angle on this thing and they're going, oh, whoa, that is not what I was expecting. I thought I was special because I was Jewish. Yes, that's a very nice heritage and it's set up where we are at now, but this is the way that all are saved, whether Jew or Greek or Gentile. All of us are saved through faith in Jesus. So that when we get down to the end of Romans chapter 11, we hit verse 33 and it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom 
and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And in that one verse, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Paul preaches the whole thing that I've just said. Because in that verse, he refers back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. Who can search, measure the Spirit of the Lord? Who can, who can fathom His ways? Who could be His counselor? And in that, you begin to unpack all of Isaiah and all of the prophecies and Isaiah pointing forward. This is the thing that is to come that I am telling you about beforehand so that you will understand once it happens. And Paul is pointing back and going, I am telling you after the fact, this is what has happened just as Isaiah has said. And they're going, whoa! Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? And some of us might be going, but that's not how I was thinking it would be. That's not how I would have done it. I thought that I would have to work. I I thought that I was born into some special privilege. I thought it was because of my family. I thought it was because of something else. Who has given to him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Who has known the mind of God? Who could stand back and say, God, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the plan. Good one, by the way. Well thought through. I just have a couple little tweaks. I'd just like to give you a little bit of counsel, God, because there are some things in this plan that I don't want to call them weaknesses, but just areas of improvement. I'm just going to stand back, God, and I'm looking at this and I'm seeing some of the pain that I'm going through. I'm seeing some of the pain of your people. I'm seeing some of the the pain of those that I would consider to be relatively innocent. And I just don't think that this is how it should be. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who? could be his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. He created all things. He sustains all things. And ultimately all things will bring him glory. And so we can stand back and we can ask the questions. And I would tell you, when you find yourself wondering, how is this or why is this? Feel free to ask those questions. It is not wrong to say, I don't get it, Lord. This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. Ask the questions. And expect that once you understand his answers, it's going to lead you right back to here. Because from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. 
So don't circumvent the process. Don't try and just jump over it and go, well, all things go to God, so I'll just trust. You don't have to do that. You can wrestle with it and ask the questions. Job did. Isaiah did. We can ask those questions and say, God, I don't understand this. This doesn't feel right. I don't get it. But what you can expect is that when He begins to reveal Himself to you, His glory, His power, and His unending love, we will find ourselves at this point ultimately crying out, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. It is way beyond anything that I could comprehend. And those little bits that I begin to get blow my mind. Because it is so more wonderful than anything I could have done. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forevermore. Amen. As we prepare for Christmas together, we are preparing for the remembering of this. That God's plan all along was Jesus. His chosen one. The one who would come to save His people from their sins. The one who was Himself God in flesh. Walking in our weakness and understanding the things that we struggle with so that He might bear our burdens and free us from our sin. And so as we prepare for Christmas, may we reflect on this. And may we this morning and for the next several weeks find ourselves saying, Oh, how wonderful the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. To Him be the glory forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this plan, this plan is, is beyond what we would have done. There are aspects of it that I say, it doesn't make sense to me why you would do it that way. I don't understand why you would use broken people. I don't understand why you would allow the mess that you allow, why you would allow the sin that happens, the pain, the wars, the heartache. I don't understand that in the world. I don't understand it always in myself, why you would allow these things. But Father, when I step back and I see the way that You are fulfilling the plan so that everything comes to You, so that You might be the Creator of all things, the Sustainer of all things, and the one and only Savior, the Holy One of Israel, the One who has now brought in those from every uh, tribe and tongue and nation. Father, we stand in awe of You for this. 
And Lord, I ask that as we reflect on this this morning, that you would fill us with your Spirit, that we might know your love both in our minds and in our hearts. And we might press back to you in some small way how wonderful and glorious you are. To you be the glory now and forevermore, we pray. Amen.